1: Actually, I believe it was big swing dicks. So there was obviously an overexcited imagination on the part of some, I would suggest.
0: Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. Well, I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it.
1: What's mansplaining, Senator?
0: Welcome back to In the House and In the Senate, where we talk to the women of Australian politics about who they are, what they do and why it matters. In the House and in the Senate is supported by Plan International Australia, the charity for girls' equality. As a leading humanitarian organisation working in 80 countries, Plan International Australia tackles poverty and supports communities through crisis. Plan work on some of the most important issues of our time, from gender equality, sexual and reproductive health rights, sexual harassment and action on the climate crisis. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken-Radburn. I'm a former federal and state political staffer, passionate about making a positive change in our world. Let's get into today's episode. Tanya Plibersek has been the Labor member for Sydney since 1998. Through her time in Parliament, she served as a Cabinet Minister in the Rudd and Gillard Governments and the Deputy Leader of the Labor Party and Deputy Leader of the Opposition from 2013 to 2019. She is currently the Shadow Minister for Education and the Shadow Minister for Women. Tanya grew up in Sydney, the daughter of migrants from Slovenia. She joined the Labor Party at 15 and went on to study journalism and public policy. During her time in government, Tanya established the National Rental Affordability Scheme to build 50,000 affordable rental homes. She expanded the Medicare-subsidised dental checkups for children and convened the National Council to reduce violence against women and their children, amongst much more. Tanya, the question I kick off every episode of In the House and In the Senate with is what's your day look like today? I think a lot of people are curious about the day in a life of a parliamentarian. Well,
1: uh, today Parliament's not sitting, so I'm in my electorate, so I managed to uh, drop my son to school, meet with the teachers' union, do an interview with a Cairns radio station, attend a Remembrance Day service at the War Memorial, write an an article for um, a newspaper tomorrow about schools, um, meet with my staff about their work, do this podcast, and then... Tonight I'm going to see a, a documentary about child protection with my husband and my daughter who's studying social work. Um, it's actually my 21st wedding anniversary today too, so my husband's taking me to see a documentary on child protection for our... Romantic. <laughs> I know. Like, he really knows how to show a girl a good time. Okay.
0: I feel and like... That, I feel like... yes, yeah, sorry, gay. Okay. Yes. Well, I was just
1: going to say that's a pretty quiet day because Parliament's not sitting.
0: No doubt. Um, are you not stressed all the time? Uh,
1: no, not really. I mean, I think uh, I I do feel um, pressure to get things done. Like I'm I'm super keen whenever I can to multitask. Like I never go for a walk without listening to the news or listening to an educational podcast or or um you know if i'm if i'm cooking or um you know putting the vacuum around i'll be um listening to something educational <laughs> at the same time but um i don't i don't think of it as um i don't think of it as stressful i think of it as sort of uh a- achieving at the top of what you're capable of doing and that that actually feels good i like that feeling
0: one thing that i've always i've i've sort of you know watched you watch politicians and politics from afar and you mentioned listening to an educational podcast one thing that i'm always very impressed by is just how pre- prepared and across I mean, not all parliamentarians, but a lot. Like, you seem very across multiple briefs. How have mm. you felt that experience of sort of, it feels like politicians are expected to know everything all the time?
1: Yeah, I look, I think that is, it, it can be a little bit of a, a, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, right? So, the good side of that is that I, I, I do really try and make a habit of reading widely and and listening to um, listening to and watching sort of lots of news and current affairs and documentaries and so on. Um, so that's good because I'm interested in that stuff. So it sort of feels like, you know, it doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel like a chore. It feels like a an interesting and fun thing to do but the flip side of it is uh, i think it's actually really important a- as a human being to be able to say i don't know the answer to that let me think about it yeah and in a world where if you say i don't know the answer to that let me think about it people will say you're unprepared for the job or you don't know what you're talking about i think um i think that's a problem and it obviously not everyone can know everything uh and we should be able to say, I need to learn more, I need to ask questions about that, let me think about it, or even I've changed my mind, I've got more information than I had 10 years ago or 20 years ago, so I feel differently about that. And I I don't think politics gives you a lot of room for that sort of um, thinking and reflection
0: yeah i I did one of my favorite sentences in your maiden speech was about the fact that and this is going back a long time you were elected to parliament in nineteen ninety eight uh, you you spoke about the fact that the media doesn't really allow politicians to change their minds without branding it a backflip and i I agree with you. I think that that is a really unfortunate thing about the political, political and media landscape in Australia. Tanya, to take you back to the very beginning, you joined the Labor Party at 15. Tell me mm. about that. <laughs> um, well,
1: I, I joined the Labor Party because it was the party that best represented the things that I cared about. I was actually at a, at a function at our council chambers during international youth year or something and I... Um, I made a speech and one of the councillors came up and said, oh, you know, you should really think about joining the Labor Party. That's all the stuff that we believe in. And I, I was already, you know, like I followed politics a lot. I was already reading newspapers and listening to the radio every day and so on. And when she said you should join the Labor Party, I thought, yeah, actually, why why wouldn't I join? And so I went to my branch meetings at Comorginale Branch and uh, they were on a Friday night and, and they were so happy to see a young person join. They're like, why aren't there other young people here? It's like, because it's Friday night. If they're allowed out, they're not going to yeah. branch they're, they're actually going, they're, they're going to, um, you know, drink at the Sutherland United Services Club or um, yeah. actually...
0: <laughs> Well, if you're fifteen, you're probably like hanging around in Maccas, or I was like d- hanging out with my friends at seven eleven drinking Slurpees.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or or um, you know, begging your parents to be allowed to go for a sleepover yeah. and speaking yeah. out for the party. All of that <laughs> stuff, sure. Um, but I I guess from a very early age I had a sort of strong sense that um that it was important to stand up for the things that you believe in and, and try and make life fairer for people. And even like at that age, I was, uh, I I absolutely would have, you know, um, called myself a feminist. Uh, I, I would have been from primary school onwards, I was kind of fighting for, th- you know, equality between boys and girls. And Um, I cared a lot about um, land rights, uh, Indigenous land rights, and in those days a really big part of my politics was the anti-nuclear movement and was still, you know, the tail end of the Cold War. We we grew up, my generation grew up worried about... Nuclear, nuclear war, war. Oh. Uh, and about um, testing of nuclear bombs in the Pacific and a, a range of issues like that. And and so I, I just was very, um, I don't know, determined to do something, determined to contribute to making my country and the world a better place. And I didn't join the Labor Party because I wanted to be elected to Parliament. I joined the Labor Party because... I I was pretty confident that I wasn't going to fix these things on my own, that you have to be part of a movement really to make big changes. And the Labor Party was the movement that best represented my views and and beliefs.
0: You were elected at 28. I've just turned 29, so I'm like, damn, (laughs) that is so impressive. What were those years between 15 and 28 and sort of coming into the Labor Party and I I imagine what were those experiences like in those years of discovering the Labor movement, the conferences, the the, the whole machinery behind the Labor Party is really fascinating and I wonder what you thought of it and what sort of propelled you towards pre-selection. I I
1: think it can be, like it's brilliant and it's thrilling and it's, confusing and alienating. Like it can be all of these things at once, right? And I I really liked the people that I met through the Labour Party, or people of all different ages. Um I met a lot of people who whose values accorded with my own values. And I actually think that's a really firm basis for friendship. If if you don't have to agree on the solution to every problem, mm-hmm. but but if you share values like it's important that we're, you know, we look after each other, we're all in this together, those sort of fundamental things really um, appealed to me about the the people that I was meeting through the Labor Party. And I, I did occasionally find it too slow. I, I mean, I actually left the Labor Party um, in my teens because because I was frustrated with the lack of action on land rights and because we started um, selling uranium to the French government that was testing nuclear bombs in the South Pacific in those days and I just thought that's it, that I can't, you know, I can't cop that. So it, did, it didn't it did always meet the sort of um, idealism that uh, I was driven by uh, and maybe still, hopefully still driven by, um, but I... I guess I decided as I as I got into my later teens and, and 20s when I went back into the Labor Party that um, however frustrating it is, however slow organised politics is, it really is the best way to make fundamental change. And I guess the thing that I have found most rewarding about my work um, after being elected, both as a local member and as a, as a minister in government in particular, is that, You can, by signing one letter or signing one brief, actually change one person's life or a thousand or a million people's lives for the better. And I I think you can, you can, there's so many jobs where you do good, you know, there's so many, I'm not saying that being a Member of Parliament is the only way to affect change. There's so many ways that you can do good. But a lot of those jobs where people are doing good, um, they they have to, um, you know, knock on doors and, and raise their voices and shout from the rooftops to get a change made that being in government allows you to do. Um, so for me... It's been a phenomenally rewarding experience to be involved in organised politics. I know why people find it frustrating. I'm I'm not surprised that people find it frustrating, but for me, um, all of that frustration has been worth it for the achievements along the way.
0: I, I know it's a strange word to use, but I find it quite, I find how you've captured that quite comforting because I think a lot of particularly younger members who are part of whatever party they're a part of do have those moments like you had where they feel Mm. this isn't really meeting my expectations and it becomes this kind of existential crisis almost where you've invested a lot of time and energy into something that you're like oh but I yeah I, I really appreciate how you've captured that journey and how you wrestled it's good to know that Everyone goes through those moments of wrestling as well. Um, Tanya, once you were in Parliament, can so, can yes. I, sorry, just one other thing about this. I guess one of the things
1: that people who are just getting involved in politics feel at the beginning is everybody knows the rules except me. Yeah, Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows each other. I'm the outsider here. I, I think that's actually like joining any organisation. That's not just political parties, but if you join, you know, your your local PNC or you you join an environmental group, or even your or workplace, it like your work, when you, particularly when you're new to a workplace, it feels like everybody else has got it all figured out, and um, and I've just got to sit here quietly and try and work out slowly what's going on. And I, I really, genuinely think in most situations pretty much everyone is feeling that way. And if you are brave enough to be the person who says, what can we do to simplify this process to make it better for everyone, or um, how are we going? Do we all feel connected in this organisation? Are we achieving as a group what we want to achieve? That's a really, it's a very vulnerable thing to do, but it's also a very powerful thing to do because everybody almost always everybody breathes a sigh of relief and says, oh, I'm so glad you said that, that, you know, that's that was my experience, that's still my experience, I don't want it to be the experience for the next generation. And I think political parties really need to um, get on top of that idea that somewhere, you know, people think somewhere at the centre there's a group of people who know everything that's going on and it's all working perfectly. Uh, I think for the most part, you um, uh, you know, drawing people in, empowering them, helping everybody feel like they're part of the decision-making process really strengthens an organisation.
0: Absolutely. Taking you to Parliament. Uh, Elected in 1998, making your maiden speech. Tell me about that experience through your pre-selection, your election in 1998 and those first few years
1: pre-selection was hard. I mean, there were 13 candidates. Uh, Peter Baldwin, who was my predecessor, uh, retired without much notice. Um, There was no, no one was stacking in the seat of Sydney. He was quite a young man. And so people assumed that he would stay in Parliament for, you know, many years to come. Uh, The pre-selection went for four and a half months. We had over a thousand branch members. We had three big forums on different topics. I would have um, spoken to pretty much everybody on that list. Um, as it was sort of, I think it was about 400 people had a vote. Uh, I was trying to convince every. It's like doing 400 job interviews, essentially. Um, and uh, and I, I think I was very lucky that it was a rank and file pre-selection. And I'm a, I'm a strong supporter of rank and file pre-selection because I think it is a real... Test of ability and test of character. And branch members generally get it. Oh, this sounds really <laughs> up myself, but no, I think good. They do, <laughs> they do have the chance to see whether they like what you stand for.
0: And, and it, it goes back to that empowerment that you speak of, about bringing people into the party and feeling sort of lost and confused. If you give people a voice through a vote, it's a pretty tangible way to feel like you're a part of something bigger
1: yeah and and people take the responsibility very seriously for the most part like i i I genuinely was like doing 400 job interviews i was going to people's homes sitting there for an hour or two you know being grilled on every every um subject under the sun and i think it's proper that you actually do that kind of work um, to uh, to be elected to Parliament, uh, you know Parliament's a tough environment. People expect you to uh, have um, you know a bit of um, bit of fire in the belly, a bit of a uh, bit of steel, and pre-selection can really test that. The, my first speech. Um, was much sooner than I thought. I was one of the very early ones. So uh, my husband, then boyfriend, almost missed it. He sort of got, got to Parliament House just as I started. So he was watching it from on one of the TV monitors from the lobby. Um, it was incredible. It was, it was incredible to... Uh, I, I, I worked as a staffer for a few years before I was elected, and I remember walking into Parliament House the very first time and feeling just this as a staffer, this it, in, just incredible, overwhelming sense of great good fortune that I was allowed to participate in our democracy. Like I would be involved in politics for free, right? The yeah. fact that I actually had a job in politics was just like every dream come true. And my parents came to Australia in the early 1950s. They grew up in um the former Yugoslavia during the Second World War, they were little kids who, you know, absolutely grew up dirt poor, um, had their education disrupted by the war, came to Australia as refugees. I just thought, wow, what a country that um, someone with that kind of family background can participate in our democracy at all. And then being elected, I, I... just this really super strong sense of responsibility to do something useful with the the privilege that my my branch members and my electorate had given me.
0: How have you felt that those passions of social justice, social mobility that you speak of for yourself, but also clearly wanting to help others, how, how do you feel that you've had many different roles in your political life? How do you feel like those passions have translated into your parliamentary career?
1: I look really well, actually. Like the, the things that I care about, uh, my brother tells this story constantly about how when I was a teenager and I used to sell flowers at Janali Railway Station as an after-school job, And there was a homeless guy that I used to talk to um, every Thursday and Friday afternoon while selling flowers and I I wanted to invite him for Christmas lunch one year. And when I got the housing portfolio and we did the homelessness white paper and I got to build, um, you know, 21,600 new public housing dwellings, 80 new homelessness services, 35,000 National Rental Affordability Scheme homes like actually meeting the people as they were moving into those new homes and the people who were using those services for the first time, uh, it it just, like it's just an amazing experience to touch someone's life in that way. It's a really, um, it's just an amazing experience to be able to do it. And like the women's portfolio that I've had, uh, both in government and in opposition. I would have, you know, started calling myself a feminist when I was campaigning for um, mixed lines at morning assembly and, uh, you know, mixed playgrounds at primary school. The the fact that I got to do the National Plan on Violence Against Women and Their Children, um, it just, you know, but it... it feels amazing to be able to um, make those decisions and of course it's difficult and complicated and frustrating at times and I'd say one of the one of the greatest frustrations of it is how slow the pace of change is you know I, I really hoped when I was women's officer at UTS that by the time you know if I'd never thought about having a daughter at university age which I do have I would have thought maybe we'd ha- handled sexual assault on campus by now fixed it for your generation but we haven't fixed it yet for your generation so it is it's frustrating and disappointing at times but when i see progress it i i think it's all worth it
0: can i just thank you for all of that tanya because it it, what you achieved in your time in government is so tangible and does have such tangible positive effects on and it really just one life matters but the fact that as you say through signing a doc- document you can have positive impacts on the lives of millions is just i'm amazed that not every person walking around the street doesn't want to get involved in politics because yeah. it's just such a incredible way to make change how how are you feeling at the moment what, what do you what do you tell yourself to sort of deal with that oscillation of progress? Sometimes things things happen really fast. Sometimes it's glacial.
1: Um, I I you know I I, lit- I actually literally stop and smell the roses. Right? I go out for a morning walk. I I I literally stop and smell the roses. I try and do that with work as well and uh i i hold on to the the real stories of the real lives that change because of things that we did in government in particular um i i live well, sorry I, I work just down the road from a new homeless or rebuilt um homelessness facility for frail aged homeless people and I've visited there many times over the years. Um I drive past uh I drive past the common ground in Camperdown on Bridge Road and see what a beautiful place that is for people to live. Um seeing those things, seeing people treated with dignity who previously weren't, that's kind of enough, you know. I, I really Like I say, like, of course, politics, you don't always get your own way. It can be frustrating. It can be complicated. It can be too slow. But when you do get your own way, it can be so profound and impactful that that's enough.
0: What are you hoping to achieve with your time left in politics? I know that sounds—it's such a well, dark uh, question to say. I'm like, <laughs> uh, well, I've got
1: I've got five minutes left in this, so let's see. Um, uh, I, I think the simplest way—the simplest way to say it—is I want to I want to build a country where people of your generation have less to worry about, not more to worry about. And so it's about job security. It's about climate change. It's about housing affordability. It's about issues like sexual assault and domestic violence. I really want for for you and your generation, my kids, their generation, I want them to have a better and easier life than my generation had, but a harder and more complex life. And so that that means um, a good economy that has a growing number of jobs. Those jobs are well paid and secure. Uh, it means investment in the social services that we rely on, Medicare, our universities, our schools, TAFE, aged care, disability, mental health services. It means um means leaving the environment better than we found it, uh, and that you know climate change is a big part of that, but making sure that we're you know no longer the country that has the fastest rate of extinction of animals mm. anywhere in the world um, there's so much so much still to achieve
0: Tanya, you've been in the halls of power for over. 20 years and it does really feel like this year when it comes to sexual harassment, sexual assault, both in Parliament House but in wider society, it does feel like this year has been a watershed moment. What have you felt during this year? Because I just think about the breadth of time that you've been there and this year, how has that felt watching these stories be disclosed and this issue elevated to what I hope is the forefront of a lot of Australians' minds? I've
1: got um, two main, I suppose, sets of feelings. The first is angry and ashamed that this is still happening and that um, young staff like you were uh, are still subject to Sexual harassment very commonly, and uh, sadly, we hear from Brittany Higgins' experience um, potentially sexual assault as well. Like it just makes me absolutely furious that that is. That no one should experience that sort of risk um, or lack of safety at work. It's completely unacceptable, uh, and um, so I, and I I feel. I suppose, kind of angry at myself and my generation for not having fixed it yet. Um, and um, on the other hand, I feel a great sense of hope as well because things are better than um, when I started and I see, um, you know, the amazing young women leading the change today, Um, I just mentioned Brittany Higgins, but, you know, Grace Tame and Saxon Mullen and Janelle Contos and all these phenomenal uh, advocates for change. I, I really believe they'll achieve what we didn't achieve and I want to help them in any way I can and support them in any way I can to do that. So... Um, the flip side of the the anger and frustration is the, the incredible hope. And I hope uh, if if I can sort of smooth the way a little bit for this next generation of activists, that's a wonderful thing too.
0: I have to say that as a staffer, as as painful as some of the moments were at the beginning of the year where you're sort of sitting, I've I've mentioned in a couple of interviews, sitting down for 7.30 report and there was really this like swathe of a couple of weeks where it was just like story after story after expose and it takes you to all of your own experiences and you're just like, you feel quite drained and defeated. But I have to say that I participated in the Kate Jenkins inquiry for parliamentary staffers and it was an amazing process and it was a way to feel heard and i'm very excited is probably the wrong word to use but i'm i'm i've heard that the report is being released sometime november early december and i'm really looking forward to seeing what recommendations come out of that and i feel really happy to have someone like you in parliament, someone like you in the media who will voice that those recommendations need to be listened to and heard. Tanya, to take it to a more positive place, because we've we've spent some time on some heavy topics, for young women who look at what you do, who look at what other parliamentarians do, who have that same feeling in that their heart of, wanting to make change in a really tangible way what's your advice for getting more active in politics and the political system
1: get involved put your hand up like there's no there's no um there's no sort of magic path that everybody else knows that you don't know uh, I I volunteered I You know, stuffed envelopes and letterboxed and door knocked and did all of that stuff. And um, I think there's really no sort of shortcut. Put your hand up, throw yourself into it, um, get involved. There's, yeah, it, it won't be perfect, but it's better than sitting on the sidelines.
0: Thank you so much for talking to me, Tanya. I'm sorry that it was a lot of (laughs) heavy content, but I just appreciate your perspective, particularly around it means so much to hear about how that signature on that piece of paper can impact lives. And I think people forget about that in politics. So I really appreciate you talking to me today.
1: Well, thanks, Alicia. (laughs) It's a great pleasure to talk to you and lovely to just lovely to see you um, and all the adventures that you you've been on
0: in the house and in the senate is recorded on the land of the wadjuk people this land was never ceded it always was and always will be aboriginal land If you enjoyed this episode of In the House and In the Senate, please jump into your podcast app, subscribe, and give me a quick rating and review. This will help the podcast reach more people, and I will personally be incredibly grateful. Also, be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram at In the House, In the Senate, where I'll be sharing content from our guests, throwbacks to my time in staffing and resources to help you get more involved in the political system. You can also follow my personal account at alicia.akenradburn. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye to you. Bye. (laughs) Next
1: question. (laughs) See ya.